to Riot Etiquette, a podcast that seemed like a good idea at the time. I'm your host, Brian Boland. The point of the show is to provide expanded context and definitions on ideas and concepts around the current wave of protests. It's been a while since a new episode dropped. I'd like to apologize for that. Uh, There were a few reasons, and probably first and foremost is it wasn't the smartest idea to kick off a new project just a little more than a month before the presidential election. I mean, didn't have a lot of free time, you know, was stressed with workload, mental health around just general election despair, and and I could, those could be my reasons. But also, I did go for a walk a few days after posting the previous episode, and while listening to one of my favorite podcasts, I heard, in a row, ads for a 12-part scripted political thriller podcast about the daughters of the D.C. elite, including the daughter of the Speaker of the House, secretly being white hat hackers. And then a podcast where they interview entrepreneurs about being entrepreneurs, which is great because we don't have that podcast yet. No one has ever had that idea, so that was cool. And then there was Pete Buttigieg's podcast, and then another far longer advertisement for the Daughters of D.C. taking down corruption one hackery thing at a time. And then, finally, a Bald Guys podcast where they interview other bald guys about being bald guys. And I thought to myself, the world doesn't need another podcast. There's too many of them. And, you know, here I am, being part of the problem. So that is what I've decided is the official reason for that hiatus. Uh, I heard that a podcast about being bald existed, and it blew my mind so hard that I couldn't podcast for a full month and a half. We'll get back to our regularly scheduled program after this, but today I figured I'd throw together a quick little interlude episode, just sort of check in with everyone. Uh, I'm recording this Thursday night. November 19th. Uh, last weekend saw a riot of a different sort in D.C. Thousands of people, possibly tens of thousands, descended on Washington, D.C. for a million MAGA march, which was named that way not because they thought a million people were actually going to show up, but because people love referencing the Million Man March when they don't have any original ideas about what to call their event. After nightfall, hundreds of people from extremist groups like the Proud Boys rallied a different sort of march. They patrolled the streets looking for a fight, and D.C. anti-fascists gave them one. I know a lot of big-name liberals were on the internet this past week urging people to stay home, lock the doors, ignore them. Meeting them in the streets is just what they want. It gives them more attention. And some listeners might be thinking the same thing. A bad metaphor, uh, but a metaphor. Uh, In the past, some parents have told me that sometimes the most useful thing you can do to help your child is ignore a tantrum every once in a while. It helps foster a sense of independence on their part. Now, even if we assume that that's good parenting advice, which I have no idea, absolutely none, not apparent for a reason. Uh, Even if we assume that correct, there's a difference between your child crying for help in the other room and your child stalking a playground with a steel baton attempting to injure any other child that comes within reach, right? You wouldn't tell the other children to just go home and ignore it. Now, the general opinion I saw from activist accounts was that just ignoring the problem has been the liberal mindset for decades, and it's what's allowed the rapid growth and expansion of these groups uh, the past few years in particular, that the only thing we can do now is show up and stop them. They'll point to the 67 alt-right rallies that were canceled in the year following the murder of Heather Heyer at the white supremacist rally in Charlottesville in 2017. You might remember it uh, under the name Unite the Right. How the community showing up in overwhelming numbers worried the white supremacists, and they decided to head home instead, where it was safe. Anyway, anti-fascists showed up to meet the alt-right extremists and neo-Nazis in Washington, D.C. 
Um, the videos of the start of the first large street brawl in Washington, D.C. was horrifying, but illuminating. You know, the Proud Boys and other groups had promised premeditated violence uh, on all sorts of you know, back-channel social media, things maybe mainstream journalists and liberals aren't looking at. They said what they intended to do. And uh, yeah, that's exactly what they showed up to do. They marched looking for a fight. The weekend ended with a litany of injuries, uh, three stabbings, including one journalist and another person who was stabbed in the back. Uh, last update I heard, they were in critical condition in the hospital. No uh, death has been reported, so I'm going to assume that they're pulling through all right. Aside from the street brawls, there are other just really horrible videos of individual people fleeing from mobs, chasing them, and and getting beaten into the ground repeatedly, no matter how many times they escape. There was at least one queer bashing of a trans man by Trump supporters that was caught on tape. Horrifying stuff, uh, and it, it sucks, but this being the year it is, you know, at least no one died. There's a lot of different takes here, uh, from the difference in police treatment of right-wing crowds versus BIPOC people organizing. Uh, I know BIPOC people is redundant, please forgive me. Uh, so uh, the difference in the way that the MAGA folks and the Proud Boys are treated by the police is totally different than how Black Lives Matter uh, is treated by the police. Uh, other people are talking about comparisons of this moment with the development of the brown shirts. You know, to pointless speculation about what comes next. I, let's bypass those for this episode. I just wanted to pivot really quick to talk about what I've been up to the past two weeks, which was mainly attending uh, a couple pro-Trump events here in Madison, because uh, there's something very specific that I wanted to mention. Originally, when I planned this sort of like check-in thing, I wanted to give you all a breakdown of the different things I saw at the protests and the takeaways that I had. And, you know, enough time has passed since then, and I'm not as fired up about it. Uh, and I don't think the things I saw and heard were particularly unique. So I'm not sure that they really deserve me taking that much time. Suffice it to say, you know, military stuff, people openly talking about genocide, um, you know, how Democrats hate you, people saying stuff about how protesters should be run over. It's all the stuff that you would expect. What kind of sucked about it was, you know, being there in person, hearing actual people say this. And I'm not talking about, you know, the astroturfed folks. You know, the event organizer for one of the things I went to, He's a political consultant from Washington, D.C., and one of the other speakers was a, was a right-wing social media figure who flew down from New York City, and the more I started tracking tags on Twitter, the more and more I wasn't finding a single person based out of Wisconsin. A lot of people drove up from Chicago, but those were the people like at the center who were all dressed up and had the costumes and the flags and one of the social media pictures. And there were plenty of people more around the edges, you know, or standing back a little bit listening to them that I didn't confirm, but um, they very well could be from Wisconsin. It, it wouldn't have surprised me, and I feel like it's safe to guarantee that some of them were. And those are the folks that were having conversations with each other that, that overhearing them was horrifying. Whatever from your alt-right speakers, because I've seen them post all the same things on Twitter, but these were just like regular folks walking up to me to chat. And the one thing I did think was worth pointing out um, that I don't think is mentioned enough explicitly, and, and maybe it's something that you, it, it's a little hard to put into words, um, just the different, the entirely separate reality that these folks are living in, which is not new information by any means, but... Um, I guess to put it in context, okay, so 
years ago, I, I don't even remember how many at this point, let's say five for the sake of the story, I was invited to be a guest on a podcast, and it was being recorded down in Chicago. So I got drove down, I got put up in a hotel, and one of the perks of being on this podcast was since we were there anyway, the host of the podcast I was going to be on was a guest on this much larger podcast, which was pitched to me as the funniest conservative podcast out there. Say whatever you want to, uh, you know, about comedy. I, I think at least in the current moment, the majority of like mainstream comedy does skew a lot more liberal, but that doesn't mean that there's not decent conservative comedy out there. And I did grow up rural and I grew up in a conservative area there's a, and I drank at conservative bars. There's a fair amount of that uh, conservative comedy where, you know, even if it's not for me, I get it. And it seemed like an interesting thing to do. What I did not know is the podcast in question uh, was currently in the middle of a lawsuit with another internet personality that I've never even heard of. I guess it's from like the old days of the internet. And there was some beef between them and the main host of this podcast. And it blew up. And they started suing and countersuing each other. And these were all names. Everyone, I mean, I went to this podcast taping and we were standing in the lobby of the theater and it was packed to the brim. It was just full of people and they were all chatting with each other excitedly and they kept referencing this podcast and the different characters involved and the ins and outs of the drama. All of them knew it. Every single one of them knew all of it and these were all people I had never heard of before in my life. And I did end up leaving about 10-15 minutes into the live show because um, it, w it's, it wasn't funny. I didn't know any of the in-jokes. It was the only thing they were talking about was the lawsuit. So, you know, whatever. I bailed. And you know what? I have never heard the names of any one of the people involved in that ever again. It was like this totally sealed off part of Twitter. And it, it, was, it was this whole community. And it's huge. I mean, they have thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of listeners. They were able to pack a theater for a live show pretty easily. The theater sold out of booze. The theater sold out of booze. They did not anticipate as many people to show up and drink as much as they did. They sold out of booze before the show even started. They had to make a run to the grocery store. Like, this is not a small group. This was huge. Never heard of it ever again. And that's sort of what it felt like being at this protest. When I showed up, there was, the there was a celebration going on. It was the day that Biden had been declared the projected winner of the presidential race. So there's this huge crowd of folks bunch of liberals, mostly younger kids, because that's sort of the college area, and everyone's partying in the street, everyone's dancing. And then on, on either side of that, BLM activists had made, you know, the car barricades that are sort of normal now at any of their actions. And at one point, one of those barricades ended up being patrolled by folks wielding firearms of their own, which is not something I'm super comfortable around, but that's what they felt was necessary, so that's what they ended up doing. And I was over in the Trump camp, and at one point, I, I was talking to this guy who was sort of the only, I guess, black block type person I saw on the Trump side. Um, I was chatting with him, and some third person came up and pointed at the barricade and said, looks like they're trying to box us in. They're trying to trap us in. And I was like, well, no, I, I don't think so. I think, I mean, I, I've done a couple circuits of the square, and it looks like they just have one of those barricades up on either side of their thing. I think that's them, like, that's security or whatever. And the guy just started talking about how if they tried to attack us, they didn't have the numbers anyway. And there was, I mean, a lot of sexist talk of, like, well, most of them over there are girls, so they can't do anything. They'd, they'd run first thing and whatever. There was just this really paranoid mindset. At one point, I got kind of confronted by a guy basically asking me repeatedly what was in my backpack. 
And I was just like, well, it's just a first aid kit and masks. And he was like, black masks? And I was like, no, just the disposable ones, like the one I'm wearing. You know, sometimes you see college kids with their t-shirt up over their face and that they don't look comfortable for anyone. So I, I have extra disposables. I just carry them around in these little plastic bags with some hand sanitizer uh, in case anyone wants them. And I don't know, it was a weird moment of confrontation, but then he started talking about how he was kind of hoping some black masks would show up and he was ready. And I got this feeling from being around that camp. It was, it was such extreme paranoia. They all felt like at any moment, Antifa, and I'm putting that in quotes because they used the word wrong, uh, that Antifa was going to be descending on them at any moment, just like a horde of people throwing rocks and committing unmitigated violence. And remember, one of the things we talked about in a previous episode is that, sure, Antifa will 100% get into a street fight, absolutely, when they feel it's necessary, but they're generally not super proactive with it. And even though there were signs of extremism, white nationalists, and militias within this much smaller group, you know, there were plenty of college kids who were heckling at them and yelling at them. If that wasn't the sort of situation where you're going to come up against a strong contingent of black bloc. But they didn't understand that. They don't know what Antifa is. They don't know what black bloc is. They've all been consuming this media from the same portion of Twitter where it's just clips of street violence out of context. Uh, There's a good example. I don't know if you've seen it come across Twitter. There was this one clip of a black guy knocking out, I don't know if it was just a MAGA guy or, or a proud boy. I don't remember off the top of my head. This is a good shot, is the one-hit KO, but it kind of looks like a sucker punch. You know, he comes from behind. And it's that clip went viral on conservative social media. The longer clip, which is about a minute and a half long, is one guy trying to sneak up and sucker punch this dude who steps back. The first guy falls over. Then a second guy comes up and tries to attack the first guy as well. Not the one who fell over. The guy who was getting sneak attacked in the first place. Anyway, so there's these two guys, and it's just like this one dude who is hanging out. Both of them decide to beat up this guy, and he kind of gets out of it, and they're trying to start a fight, and there's this whole mess of the crowd, and then the guy comes back and punches the other guy and knocks him out. Like, if you look at the whole video, not assigning, you know, blame or innocence to anyone here, but there's, you can understand why he charged up from behind. It was not, I'm gonna knock out a Trump supporter, right? It was a street fight. And so that's kind of, there are people attending these events who absolutely know that they are clipping things to spin it and they're willing to get into fights anyway. They understand the propaganda. A lot of them just like to argue online for the sake of arguing. You know, they want to make you mad. That whole mess of a thing. Um, But there are people actually showing up. And this is why I think some of these were like legitimately just people from Wisconsin who were there waiting to get attacked because they believe the videos that they've seen on Twitter and on Facebook are the real version of events. They've never questioned them. And there's a lot of worrying things we can say about that, about them living in a completely alternate reality. But in this case, it actually worked out to be a good thing. So many of them were ready for a fight and ready and, and in some cases eager to do violence. You know, they really wanted to get involved. They really wanted to throw some punches. But they weren't ready to start something, right? They, they, were, they thought they were going to be attacked and they were willing to defend themselves. But they haven't taken the ideological step to proactively assaulting people. And maybe that's the silver lining of the way that social media has played out. It's not going to save us for a long time. But, you know, in the short term, 
there was a lot of building energy and no way for it to release itself because they legitimately believe that if they show up and they're just speaking at the Capitol, a black person's going to come up and sucker punch them from behind and knock them out. That's the reality they live in, and that sucks on a policy level, and it sucks that they might support a potential coup because of it. But in terms of street violence, it's a saving grace for now. And I should put the asterisk on here that that weekend was not completely free of violence. Um, I don't want to make it sound that way. A guy on a motorcycle and drove through some protesters. He was trying to push his way through the barricade. You know, uh, we had Trump signs in his whatever you call it, not saddlebag or whatever that were poking out so you could see, trying to force his way in there. People at the barricade wouldn't let him. They were telling him to back up. Rather than back up, he drove through them, off to the side, and ran away. And I don't think anyone was seriously injured. I don't want to act like I'm, you know, sort of whitewashing this and being like, they don't know how to do violence on their own. They do. They do, and that's always been the concern, is that this heightened rhetoric that these astroturfed organizers from out of town come in uh, and use is just to hype you up, hype you up, get you more and more paranoid to the point that you might, you know, when people are telling you to back up, feel like you're being attacked and drive through them instead. And that's what they want. Individual actors that they can then distance themselves from and say they're not a part of our movement we never said to do that, but it's sort of the point of the rhetoric. It's the point of hyping everything up. I suppose the last thing that I wanted to mention that I did think was sort of funny is how often through all of this, there's been this media narrative of, um, you know, all the rioters are people from out of town, like Black Lives Matter activists from out of town come in and rile people up and the people breaking things and lighting them on fire, they don't even live here which is reductive because then it implies there's no way the people of color living here could be upset enough to do that, and that's a problem. But maybe the reason they think that is because that's how all of their events have been. It's not like I have been to liberal events where there are out-of-town organizers or out-of-town speakers, but generally the event is hosted by a local organization with these people as guest speakers. This was totally different where it was... The organizer and all of the speakers were from out of town. And not just out of town. New York City, Washington, D.C., L.A., coastal elites, outside agitators coming in to rile people up and fuck shit up. I, it's just very funny. It's just very incredibly funny. You know, I don't have a I don't have a tight way to wrap this up. This is like I said, just an interlude. Just wanted to check in real quick. Thank you for listening to Riot Etiquette. Uh, I don't have a pithy outro today. Just wanted to say we will be returning to regularly scheduled programming. I don't know how frequently I can get these recorded and put up, but I have a couple episodes mostly written already, so there's no reason to stop this anytime soon. We'll, we'll at least get through a few more episodes. Anyway, I'm rambling. See, this is what happens when I try and record one of these without a script. Okay, my name is Brian. This has been Riot Etiquette. Thank you for listening. We're on Twitter. Here's a Patreon. Goodbye.